right, well, we're going to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to talk today about the, 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 the genesis of the fruit of the Spirit. How does it appear in your life and the purpose of it? So turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, against such things there is no law. And we're going to talk about today just the first six words of this verse, but the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, help us as we study your word. First word, but is there because Paul has mentioned everything that looks nothing like the fruit of the Spirit that is evident in people's lives. Anger, outbursts of anger, lust, idolatry, malignancies of the soul that creep out in ways that are ugly. And he said those things are called deeds of the flesh, verses 19 through 21. And he lists 15, as we talked about last week, and then if somehow you, you find a loophole and you say, well, he didn't list the one I do. He then says, and everything like this. So he tries to, to catch everybody and everything they might do wrong. And then he says, but there's hope that we are not, we are not relegated, enslaved to our own passions and lusts. We can actually do, do better. We can... We can act, we can have behavioral modification in our life if we have inward transformation. But the fruit of the Spirit, deeds of the flesh are evident. All this junk, but the fruit of the Spirit is all this stuff. And he's not talking about the fruit of humanity. It's not something that is manufactured by you having mind over matter and just deciding through meditative practices that I'm going to be better today. May I say that I'm not bad, I'm not mad about anybody who's trying to be better than bad. That's a good thing. But if you want eternal benefit, if you want remaining benefit, your flesh is not able to maintain the kind of inspiration that can only come from the Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, he who abides in me, and, 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 and because I abide in the Father, he will bear much fruit. I am the vine, he's the vine dresser. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, and that fruit will remain. The kind of fruit that comes from somebody trying to perfect the flesh doesn't remain. It doesn't reach the, the bar of quality that God desires, and neither does it last a long time. So it's insufficient in every way, though it's better than bad. And so I'm not mad at people that are trying to be better than bad, but I'm trying to get people who look like Jesus so the world can be changed for his glory. And so Paul is trying to do the same thing and saying, but the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of good behavior, not the fruit of somebody trying to do self-help, but the fruit of the Spirit is this here. And so there's a supernatural element in that only the Holy Spirit can produce this in our lives. We can't. Our sinful nature doesn't allow us to. We're bent the wrong way. It doesn't mean that everything that somebody does that is human is bad. It just means it can't be as good as it's supposed to be. It also means that no matter what they do good, they can't wipe away the bad they've done. And the bad we've done deserves to be punished. Consequences should be reaped. 
And God is merciful, though. He doesn't want us to reap them. He doesn't want us to suffer. And so he sent his son to die on our behalf. And as a result, we don't have to reap the benefits, excuse me, the consequences of our wrong deeds, our misbehavior. God actually poured it out on somebody else so we can be free, expunged our record. Didn't just pardon us for what we did. It's as if we never did. It's amazing. He doesn't remember our sin anymore. And it's not because he develops amnesia. He chooses not to. And it's not that he doesn't remember your your misdeed. Every time he sees the nail prints of his son in heaven, which are evidenced by the fact that John says he sees them in the book of Revelation, every time he sees them, he has to remember what it costs to get us right. But it's that he doesn't remember them with respect to judgment. Only redemption. That's a good thing. Our God is so good. Our God is so good. So because we can't fix our bad with our good, there's no way we can make our good good enough because we deserve bad. And so the only way he can get us to be what we should be is to eliminate us. Now, I'm not talking about self-harm. I'm not talking about somehow extinguishing humanity. What I'm talking about is giving us the privilege of dying with Christ picking up our cross daily and realizing we ourselves can't better ourselves. The only way we can be better is if we are made brand new. If we are recreated in a different image because the image we inherited was from Grandpa Adam. And that image is far below which, that which God desired us to be in the beginning. But that's what we bear. We can't help it. It's what we were born with. Original sin, the concept of it theologically, doesn't mean that sin comes to your life when you first do wrong. That, that, that when you sin, now you become a sinner. No, original sin means it originated way back with Adam and it was passed down to all of us. And the reason we manifest sinful behavior is because we are sinners. We do not become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are. We're bent wrong. And that doesn't mean that good can't be done every once in a while, but it is the exception. This is why we have award shows for good behavior. CNN heroes. Why do we do that? Because somebody did exceptionally well. Well, if everybody's doing exceptionally well, would we have a program? We have it because most of humanity is not. And we hold up these icons of virtue to say, see, that's what we can be. And every time I see that, I say, that's only evidence that we are not. We're messed up and we need help. We need supernatural help. We can't fix ourselves. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. But, Paul says, thank you, Lord, for the but. And he says it's important for us to do two things. Realize that the Holy Spirit wants to be received, number one, and then he wants to be revealed, number two. And as a result of being received and revealed, there are some things that happen in the way he wants to be revealed that allow us to display ourselves as being different. And so there are two things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you that have some subheadings. One, the Spirit's intent, and two, the Spirit's benefits. The Spirit's intent and the Spirit's benefit. The Spirit's intent is that he wants to be received and he wants to be revealed. Received means that you are actually accepting him. He is not an it. 
He's not a power, though he has power. He's a person. And we need to receive him in the form that he wants to be received. We don't just need to call on him when it's emergency moment, 911. We need to receive him in his fullness. And in his fullness, what he wants to do first is to help us become that which we couldn't become on our own. He wants to get us what we now know as born again. He wants to give us a brand new start. Jesus was speaking with a man named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He had come to him, meaning Jesus, at night. And Nicodemus said to him, uh, we know you're a good teacher, Lord. This is in John chapter 3, because no one can do the good you can do unless God's with him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. Jesus just cuts to the chase. The flowery language did not impress him. Nicodemus, being a smart man, doesn't use his intellect. Instead, he retorts with a very sarcastic statement. Well, how can a man jump back into his mama's belly when he's old? Everybody knows that's not possible. That he said it shows disdain for what Christ was trying to do. Jesus says, okay, what's born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I tell you you need to be born again because you need to be born again. That the flesh gives birth only to flesh, but the spirit is something that allows us the privilege of entering into something brand new. Now we become something we couldn't become on our own, sons of almighty God. It happens when somebody ends one life to begin another. We surrender and we say, Lord, I can't do this the way I should. I realize I have messed up my life. Every time I try to make a good decision, it's a bad one. My life is not lived in the way it should be. I've I've fallen far short of everything you desired for me. And I I am in a bad, bad way. I need you desperately to fix me, not just to help me. We're not asking him just to assist us in the progress of our own plans. What we are asking is, deliver me from me. Help me to get free from me because me is too small. Me doesn't see like it, like it should see. Me doesn't understand the end from the beginning, but you do. So deliver me from me so I can adopt all of you. That's what it means to be born again. You repent. You stop doing what you were doing. Change your mind. That's what repentance means. Change your mind and choose to go 180, do a 180, and follow God with all of your heart. You give up control. You let him have the wheel of your life. Say, drive me where I should be. I'm a passenger. Whatever you, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. You change. And as a result of change, you ask him for forgiveness for everything you've done wrong. You accept him as Lord. You let him sit on the throne of your heart, and he now rules forever. Whatever he says you do, you follow his Bible to the T. You do everything you possibly can to serve him with all of your heart and serve humanity well so that your time spent here is well spent. It's not just about you getting to heaven, though heaven is a great benefit. I'm glad that when I pass from this earth, I got someplace to go that's not bad. That makes me happy because like, like forever is a really long time. And if I'm going to spend someplace forever, I'd like it to be good. The contrast to good in eternity is not a preferable place. It's a horrible spot to be. Again, forever is a very long time. I'm going to heaven. Glad, really, really glad. But I got probably another 40 here. At least... Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) Just crickets. That's not good. 
When a man talks about how long you got to live, no, you want some affirmation, you want some help. While I'm here, I, I sure do want to make it worth it. I want to make it worth it. I don't, I don't just want to draw breath. I just don't want to suck up the resources of the planet. There's a reason he left me here. Heaven just wasn't the goal. It's the great eternal safety net. I'm supposed to be here and do something because when I get there, I can't do anything here. There's something I'm supposed to do here. The Spirit is supposed to move through my life while I breathe. And one of the ways in which he's supposed to do it is to bear fruit. People ought to be able to see more than bread. Evidence more than bread. But in order for that to happen, I've got to receive the Holy Spirit in my life. Come. Paul says it like this to Titus. After we've done everything wrong in Titus 3. Envying and... and defrauding and stealing and bad attitudes. The kindness of our God appeared in such a way that he granted us mercy and grace so that we could be renewed and regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can make us brand new, give us a brand new start. Anybody ever feel like you just like to start over? Yeah, I mean, you, you got enough stuff back there that's trying to chase you down that you did bad. You need a redo. You need a refresh. You need to start all over. This is what God is trying to give you, a redo. Redos are really good. They're really good. You accept it and he regenerates you. And he makes you brand new. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that when, when, when the Holy Spirit does this, the old things pass away and new things become. For we are new creatures in Christ. That word creature means something that has never existed. It's just not a refurbished you. It's just not painting the walls. And covering over the, the, the linoleum with hardwood. It is raising the entire property. Taking the foundation and the building down to the level at which it's no longer habitable. And then God constructing something else. Brand new. That's why nobody notices me who knew me when I was growing up. Oh, I look the same. I have the same kind of voice inflections. They understand that's Brett. But then they say, that ain't Brett. That's not bread right there. I know bread. That ain't bread. My family knows me the best. They say, that's not bread. That's not bread. Brand new. And then, not only does he want to be received like that, but he wants to be revealed. God wants to touch us in such a way that we show people who he is by fruit and by power. Now, we're going to concentrate primarily on, on how he wants to reveal himself through us through, and, and the character he wants to, to present and, and grow in our lives and manufacture. But there is an element of making sure that we also incorporate how he wants to be revealed to others by power. So after the disciples were right with God, Jesus had appeared in a room where they all were, were hanging out because they were afraid that if the leaders did this to Jesus, they were coming for them too. So they were scared with the doors locked. Jesus just appears in the room without opening the door. And they're all scared to death. They don't know what to do. The last time they saw him, he was on a cross, dead. And now, 36 hours later, he is alive. And they're thinking, how did this happen? I know the ladies told us, but we thought it was an emotional apparition, they were thinking. And, and men, stupid. I get it. <clears throat> Others had told us, but we didn't believe him. But now he's here. 
wow. And he begins to let him touch him. And he realized this isn't a ghost. This is a real human being. And he said, as a father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the born-again experience for them. That's when they got renewed. And Jesus used the imagery of breathing because it was used before when God thought about creating man. Remember he made Adam for the dust of the ground? And then what did he do after he created him? Breathed into him the breath of life. That was more than oxygen, y'all. That was the thing that separated us from the rest of creation. That made us in his image. He breathed into us spirit. Now, again, I I was a biology major, and I read a lot about science. I am not a scientist, nor am I a, a biologist. But I love reading about it. And I'm fairly versed in a lot of the important things that are determinative with respect to science and its conclusions about how we got here. And they will make assertions as to the affinity we have to the rest of creation that orangutans, orangutans actually have 97% of our DNA, which evidences the fact that we are cousins. Well, all all the, all the things that creep on the earth, all the things that are mammalian, reptilian, all the invertebrates, everything came from dirt. Everything was made from dirt, and that's where it returns when it expires. So why wouldn't we share a lot of DNA? We all came from the same stuff. I don't mind saying that. Understood? Yeah. They came from that dirt. I came from the pile right next to them. (laughs) So we ought to have a lot of the same stuff. But I'm different than them. By more than just 3% DNA. They didn't have... (sighs) This is why you can't ever ascribe wrongdoing to an animal. Because they have no moral compass. They have no conscience. They have a soul. But you can't ever say they did right or wrong. They just did. They may have done what you wanted them to do, and then you ascribe morality to that because you think it's good, but there's nothing on the inside of them that says, I'm righteous. (laughs) They're just doing. But we were made in his image, so we know right and wrong. Do you understand? This is just a little sidebar saying, we're not them. And I love Fido. I love Blackie. I love, I love Tabby. They're all nice beans. But they aren't human. They aren't family members. I'm sorry. I know I'm in trouble now. Half y'all leaving the church. I get it. I can't win here. I don't even, why do I go here? This doesn't work. But I'm trying to amplify who you are. You're different than the rest of the creation because you're made in his image. And you, seeing that you are, God didn't just say, I'm going to make them like my soul. He could have said that, but he said, in my image, which means there's something you're supposed to display. You're supposed to look like somebody. 
Likeness means doing like him. Image means appearing like him. When Adam fell, we lost the ability to appear the way we should. Born-again experience gives us the privilege of accessing his nature, his character, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And so we get the privilege of showing who he is. And so that's what Jesus did by breathing, taking what happened in the book of Genesis, transposing it some thousands of years later and saying, as God created once, he is now recreating new creatures in Christ. Beautiful. But 40 days later, after Jesus rose from the dead, he tells the disciples this. Now I'm about to leave. Don't go anyplace. You wait in Jerusalem until you've been filled with power from on high. And they thought at that time, this is Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8, they thought, oh, this must be the moment where you are going to, to bring about the, the restoration of all things and your messianic rule is going to come to bear and now we are going to take our position as cabinet members in your uh, theocracy, right? You're going to, to reestablish Israel as the premier monarchy in the world. He said, well, it's not really known to me. It's really the, the Father's will. He sets his own time by his own ways. But I know this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. Wait a minute, I just got the Holy Spirit a month and a half ago, right? Yeah, but this is different. And when the Holy Spirit came on him a second time, wow. It was no longer just for relationship with God. It was now to help other people get relationship with God because they now had the power to be his witnesses in the earth. To evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that power was for ministry to show who God was to everybody else. So the born-again experience helps you to get right with God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit helps other people get to, to get right with God through you. Now, whether you believe that there are two separate experiences or whether you believe they can happen at the same time I do not care it, I, the methodology is not near as important as it is that you actually believe that power can be distributed through your life for you to be different as seen by others so that God is glorified at some significant level that ought to happen now all of that is for another sermon I'm going to go back to what the fruit of the spirit is which comes as a result of the born again experience and, and, and here we've got three things <clears throat> we talked about the, the Spirit's intent and the, the, the Spirit's benefit. And the benefit is threefold. First of all, you need to understand that fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, these nine things that we've identified here in, in Galatians chapter 2, are not those things behind which you need to hide. Now, I know that sounds like a departure from the emphasis I've been on, but let me help you. It says in Genesis 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says that when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew it. They knew they were in trouble. They ate from the tree from which they were not to, to, to eat, and they, they, they knew it. And, and then God came to walk in the cool of the day because he had an appointment with them, I guess. And it was, it was a regular moment. And he came to find them, and he called out to them. And it says that they hid themselves in the presence of the trees from, from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves behind all the trees so that God couldn't find them. <laughs> like that works. Fruit is not that which needs to be hidden behind. Yet people can come in church, hide really well here. The atmosphere that we produce is that which allows us the privilege of enjoying peace here, safety here, joy here, 
The fruit of the Spirit is evident in our services, and it's not because we're good enough to produce it. It's because we yield so that the Holy Spirit can produce it through us. Something happens here that doesn't happen in Walmart. Humanity is there, but something happens here because we are intentional about making sure that something is produced that you can eat from, that you can enjoy, that you walk out more full than when you came in. Are you listening? But because the atmosphere is that which is conducive for growth, and everybody really feels like, wow, the Lord is here. It's amazing. He helps us. He strengthens us. His tangible presence allows us the privilege of knowing he's alive. It's really, really great. You can hide. You can hide behind a hallelujah, and nobody will know what you did last night. Now, let me say this. I don't want to know. I'm not trying to figure out your personal life. I really don't want to know. But I want you to know that, that we haven't created this environment for you to hide. We created it so you can change. Now, we didn't create it. I'm, I'm using words liberally here. We know the Holy Spirit did this. But if we weren't here, would the same presence of the Holy Spirit be here in bricks? Don't think so because he loves to abide in his people. And when people are intentional about letting him do what he wants to do, he seems to, to like the fact that we set the table and he comes to do what he does. Now, humanity is over Walmart, but you won't experience the same presence that we have here. And you can hide among the trees. People hide among the trees when I ask them about their personal life. I'm not talking about y'all. <laughs> Have a conversation with somebody. It happens all the time. We're just talking on the plane or someplace at Walmart, someplace. And I get into their life a little bit. And, and uh, they say, so what do you do? I said, I'm, I'm a minister. Oh, well, my uncle... He was a pastor. And I, you know, my, my mama was a deacon in the church. And we were there, shoot, Monday, Wednesday night, Sunday night, all day Sunday. I mean, we, 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 from breakfast till chicken dinner in church. Yeah, yeah, I just loved it. So all those F-bombs that you were throwing at me before you knew I was a pastor. Now you're hiding behind the trees. You're hiding behind all the religiosity and the fruit that was produced because you got none to show for yourself. Fruit is not that about which you need to hide behind. Secondly, it's supposed to be produced supernaturally. Again, you can't manufacture it. There's a story of, of a man named Aaron who was the priest during Moses' generation for the people of Israel. He was Moses' brother. He's a good man. Didn't make all the greatest decisions, but I know I'll be looking at the back of his head in heaven because he'll be so close to the throne. And there was a time when Israel had some, some people who were opposing Moses and Aaron's leadership because they thought they made some bad decisions. You can find this in Numbers 15, 16, and 17. And a group of Levites rose up and said, we don't think you're, you're doing a good job at all. You've gone way too far. You've taken your authority out beyond what it should be. Now you're lording it over us. You're a horrible leader. You haven't brought us into the promised land, yet you say it's our fault, but you're the leader. This is bad. We hear God just like you. And, and all I can say without going into great detail, that it, that it was a really bad day for those people. <laughs> like the worst day ever for those people. 
They opposed Moses' leadership, and God showed at least who wasn't able to lead. But in number 17, he's now going to show who is able to lead. Who's got the anointing on his life? And he asks every tribal leader to give them, to, to, to present a dead stick to Moses. Just a stick. And, and he says to Moses, have them write their names on it. So from Judah, from Levi, from, and Aaron was from Levi, so it was his stick. From Naphtali, from Asher, from Gad, Dan, all the tribes presented, their leader presented their stick. And he said, put these in my presence, in the presence of the Lord. And just let them sit overnight. And so they did. Everybody presented a stick, 12 sticks, because there were 12 tribes. And they stayed there overnight, eight, nine hours, I guess. Woke up in the morning, and every stick was exactly the same as it went in, except Aaron's. His dead stick leaved, produced leaves, budded, then blossomed, and produced ripe almonds in a night. Everybody said, well, I guess it's Aaron. I guess it's Aaron. And indeed it was. But please hear this. That fruit can only be produced in his presence. The kind of fruit that, that is spirit born can only be produced in his presence. You can't manufacture it. You can't drum it up. It's supernatural in its orientation. And why does it need to be supernatural? Because supernatural fruit is the only fruit that's going to combat well the junk that is in the world. So how in the world are you going to love your enemy? Jesus said, and we'll talk about this the next time we're together, what is it if you love those who love you? He said even the world can do that. That's not hard. I tell you this. Love your enemies. They're sitting there thinking, why? <laughs> what does that do for me? Exactly what's wrong. We're always thinking about what's in it for us. But our enemies need to see what love looks like when people are unlovable. And the only way we can do that is by supernatural fruit. It can't be just because you're feeling it, because you won't feel it. You'll feel about doing something else. You'll feel that. But the Spirit will inspire you to do things that are unusual. And all Spirit-born fruit is supernatural, which means you've got to stay in His presence. That dead stick did not bear fruit outside, even though Aaron was called. The only place where it bore fruit was inside the presence of God. Which means you need to read. This gives me great credibility when I say this again. <laughs> you need to read your Bible every day because it puts you in the presence of God. His word is synonymous with him. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God. The word has personality. It described the word as being synonymous with who Jesus is in John 1, 2, 3. And then verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was Christ. You stay in his word. You stay in him. And then fruit gets to be born on the inside because this is supernatural. It's not natural. But this is what he wants to reveal to the world. 
about who he is through you. He wants to reveal himself through you. This is what love looks like. This is what peace looks like in chaos. This is what joy looks like in depression. This is what patience looks like when that person has gotten on your last nerve, driven you up a wall. This is what patience looks like, which leads me to my last point. All these fruits are not for you. Do you think God gave you more love so you could be more narcissistic? Just love yourself more? Other people are hungry. They're hungry. How many people out there just want to be loved? Like everybody? How many people want to be affirmed as being valuable? Like everybody? How many people want somebody to exercise patience with them because they know how flawed they are? They don't want to admit it, but they know they need it. Like everybody? Women desperately want to hear these three words. I love you. And for those three words, they will give up so much, even when it's not meaning, meaningful. When the, when the person is lying behind them, they'll give it up because they want to hear it so bad. So bad. Men are not so much like that. And this is generalities. Men... I ask husbands all the time when I'm counseling them in marital situations. I said, would you rather hear your wife say, I love you, or you're the finest provider I could ever have? They think for about three seconds, they say, finest provider. Because they realize this, they're pretty unlovable. (laughs) They're a mess. They know, every man knows he's a mess. And they know that their wife has to put up with them. And it's hard. But if they're doing a good job, If they're doing a good job and they hear it from the person who knows them best. (laughs) Stick out your chest. Yeah, my woman believes in me. Doesn't matter if she loves me as long as she believes in me. (laughs) Men and women are different. Why? Because we are, Adam's creation was so close to his work. God made him. As soon as he made him, he said, go in the garden, take care of it. That's your job. Eve, when he created Eve, didn't tell her to work. He said, you're tied to him. And so women are more motivated by relationship than they are job. Men are more motivated by job than they are relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that men ought to get their identity from what they do. Though we are so, so, so closely related to what we do, it's hard for us not to. We ought to get our identity from who we are and who God has made us. But it's hard for us to separate the two. So hard that when a man loses his job, it's like this. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, okay. Now, we put on a good face. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. We go home. We cry. We just get all nervous and anxiety feels like, what am I going to do now? How am I going to provide for my family? Oh, God. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. Woman loses her job. Okay, let's go on, monster. Let's go ahead and put a resume in. We're good. We're good. Just got to go find another one. I'm not trying to be trivial, but that's pretty close. It doesn't deal with your identity. It's just another task you got to do. I got to apply. A man feels like his whole life is falling apart. 
for a woman, if a man comes in and says, dear, my clothes didn't smell this week and that was great. Dinner was very good. The house looks amazingly clean today. Great. You know, you haven't said you love me in like a month. Sweetheart, listen, I said I loved you when I got married, and if it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> you, you can give a woman an at-a-girl all day long. It won't do for her what it does for a man. But you send some flowers home before you get home? Look, you women haven't even let me finish. You haven't even let me finish my statement. You already clapping, giving me amen. Send some flowers before you get home. Walk through that door. Say, baby, you are my dream. There's nobody I want to be with other than you. I love you forever. All I'm saying is this, folks are hungry for what God has to offer them, acceptance, affirmation, love, unconditional, just embracing, they're hungry, and they don't know how to get it. So the fruit is not for you. People are hungry, and they're waiting to see, where can I eat? Is there anybody out there who loves me like God? Is there anybody? They're hungry. And they're waiting to see if they can get a bite, just a bite from your life. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to to be revealed. Because people are starving. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Help, please. Help us to become the kind of folks who can represent you well.